Matthew chapter number 5, we're continuing in our series, The Beatitudes, The Kingdom is Ours. I have so enjoyed uh, this, this series, and uh, I pray that God will uh, continue to use it over the next few weeks. Children, you are dismissed for uh, Kids Church uh, at this time, and, uh, but uh, just a, what a beautiful time of year, right? It's kind of, kind of that year where, time of year where it gets maybe a little bit chilly, and then it'll get hot again, and that's just kind of the early fall uh, in the Bay Area, but it's just a gorgeous day today, uh, even with the rain. We so desperately needed it, and uh, I, um, this morning early, I, I began to think of KC because she would always pray for rain. She was one of our uh, charter members of the church here, and uh, so just so, so thankful uh, for her and her life, and she went um, home to glory uh, many years ago, but she would have been praying for rain all summer long. So she would have been happy on it. Probably is. She knows it rained here. And uh, so, uh, but I'm glad that you're here. We're going to continue uh, on the concept of peace. And like we've done every other uh, one of these Beatitudes, we're going to now talk about how do you cultivate it? Cultivating peace. And uh, we desire it in our lives, but, but how do we cultivate it? So let's look at verse number nine of our text. This is, uh, I believe it's the 15th message uh, in this series, and uh, with a lot of our uh, a lot of our tech back there, um, you know, some weeks uh, just the audio didn't fully capture, and so. But you can go to our YouTube channel. Uh, we are Redwood, and most of these uh, are on there. And we apologize for any that uh, didn't make their way to it. We are trying to remedy this problem and researching right now of all of the all of the tech upgrades that we need to make. And uh, so, uh, but we're going to jump in verse number nine, our second week here, use it really as a springboard text. And then uh, we're going to learn a lot from the word today. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. In a world of conflict, God calls each of us to reflect on his glory by being agents of peace. A peacemaker, as we said last week, is a person who has peace and is able to bring that peace to others. Uh, Last week, we saw that God is the great peacemaker. He is the God of peace. And we looked at multiple verses that, that referenced him as the God of peace and that he himself is peace and that in his son, Jesus Christ, uh, he brought about peace with, for us uh, with God the Father. He is called the, he's called the Prince of Peace, Jesus is. Even at his, uh, even at his coming, the angels declared uh, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. And so God is the God of peace and Jesus is the the Prince of Peace. And we learned how the Holy Spirit is the the agent of peace. He's the one that that, that woos us, that brings us to uh, the place where we can be reconciled and experience this peace that it was through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We asked the question last week, since God is the great peacemaker, How do we go about making peace? And the blessing that's promised to peacemakers is that they will be called the children or the sons of God. So what will it mean for you? What will it mean for me to reflect God's way of making peace? Well, we thought about how we've got to be prepared if we're going to be these agents of peace to give up our rights at times. Uh, 
Christ was in the form of God, we learned last week from uh, Philippians 2. But he gave up those rights of this unbroken experience of heavenly joy, and he came down to earth, to his creation. He gave up his rights in order to make peace. And so you cannot make peace, hear me, by always standing on your rights. There are certain times when we absolutely ought to, but we ponder the idea of how God so often in Christ gave that up to bring peace. And so if God had stood on his rights, I would be in hell and so would everyone else. And so we've got to be prepared to give up our rights at times, to not always have to stand on those. And then we talked about if we're going to be one of these agents of peace, we have to be willing to move toward the trouble. And that's exactly what God did. Trouble was on the earth, and we have the incarnation. God moved towards that trouble. And my first inkling is to actually move away from it, right? I don't always like to move towards that conflict or move towards that trouble. It's never easy. For Jesus, it led to the cross. And so if we're going to be these agents of peace, we're going to have to maybe not stand on our own rights, be willing to to give those up, to advance towards the trouble, to advance towards the conflict, the struggle. And then we said at the very end of the message, we've got to be willing to love before we are loved in return. That's hard. Our world is often geared towards, hey, you love me, or you show me that you love me, and then I will, in response, love. Often, it is this uh, reciprocating type of thing, and yet, but God commendeth His love toward us. God shows us, displays His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, if God had waited for you to love Him first, it would have been an eternal standoff. But instead, we love him, according to John, because he first loved us. And I'm thankful for that. And so these, if you allow me to put it this way, those are kind of the broad strategies that we can draw from the Prince of Peace. We saw all of them in the life of Christ. And if Christ is your Savior, if you know him as your Savior, he is also your example, and he's the power with which you can now follow that example. So we've looked at so far what maybe can be described as kind of this, these broad strategies for making peace. But today I want us to look at what we can actually do to promote peace. How can we, how can we promote it? We, we live in a world that is of constant conflict. And so how can we be men and women of peace and promote that? What does it look like? and practice? What are the the down-to-earth kind of practical tactics that we can pursue this peace? And so I want us to kind of just follow along. Extremely practical. Again, that's all my second message in each Beatitudes, trying to always be very practical for you. We start off with recognize where there is a problem. You got to have your eyes open. You've got to not just be so consumed with your own self, but recognize where there is a problem. Jeremiah 6.14 says, They have healed also the hurt of the daughters of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, where there is no peace. 
So there were people then, back in, in, back in the Old Testament and Bible days, and then there are people now who kind of make a living by saying, peace, peace, even when there's really no peace. They tell people what they want to hear. The wounds of the people, they're, they're dressed slightly. They're, they're, they're fixed just, to just slightly. It's, you know, you maybe pump them up a little bit with some, with some ego statements, But making peace, hear me, does not mean that you are avoiding the conflict. It's not pretending that everything's okay. It's not just living by anything for a quiet life. I'll just, I'll say anything and I'll do anything. Why? Because I want a quiet life. That's not how we are to live. We're not called to that. A conflict avoided is often a conflict postponed. Kent Hughes says in his book on the Sermon on the Mount, this is particularly a male tendency. These are Kent Hughes' words, but it kind of tattooed me a little bit, so I figured I'd share it. This is particularly a male tendency. Even in our most intimate relationships, men tend to act as if everything is okay when it is not. Okay, wives, you weren't supposed to like, you know, nudge your husband right there, but yeah, okay, so we act like it's okay. Men often avoid reality because they want peace. But their avoidance heals the wound only slightly and prepares the way for greater trouble. I thought that was interesting with that. So when God makes peace with a person, he begins by awakening that person to the fact that there is a problem that needs to be fixed there's something that needs to be faced. We can't just continue to kind of put this under the carpet. The honesty that says, well, there is a problem here, is the kind of honesty that leads to peacemaking. And so we've got to start by recognizing that there is a problem. And so in any relationship that you might have, no matter what it is, on any, on, on any realm, recognize if there is a problem. You might have great relationships where there isn't a problem, but if you know that there is one, recognize it. Be willing to be willing to see it. Let me say secondly, again, practically, deal with conflict early. Deal with conflict early. I don't know about you. You've probably noticed that, that conflict doesn't necessarily ever deal with itself. And so sometimes the longer you wait, so deal with it early. Let me show this to you from from Scripture, Proverbs 17, the beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water, therefore leave off contention before it be meddled with, or stop it in a sense, stop contention before it be meddled with. This, when I read this text and I was kind of just pondering this idea, I, I thought of a time when my brother and I, we were, uh, we were at Devil's Punch Bowl. This is kind of down in the Southern California area where we grew up. Uh, a lot of snakes can be scary, but we kind of walked down and there's these cool rock formations that, uh, that, that God allowed you know, to be created through the flood, things like that, awesome things. And so we were down at the bottom and there was this little creek. And my brother and I decided, you know what, we want to try to stop this creek. And so we began to try to build a dam. You know what I'm talking about. If you've ever done it before, you get your, your stones and then you get the sand and you try to, and the dirt, and you try to make mud and you start to patch that thing up. And, you know, you, you're amazed at what you've done. You can literally stop that. But if you're watching it carefully, you'll notice that every once in a while, a little stream of water, just a little trickle begins to come through. And if you don't fix that, that ultimately is going to begin to just uh, come, you know, full flowing again. 
And so think about this. With, when it comes to kind of how we're dealing with, with struggle and with uh, just the dynamic of relationship, every broken marriage had a point where the strife began. The first harsh word, the first wound, the first moment of distrust. You didn't see it at the time, but at the end, you realize that there was a beginning. You look back and you say, if I could have only changed what was said or what was done or the action that was committed, but the reality is is that you can't actually go back to the beginning. Can't go back. So here's what we learn. Deal with conflict early. The beginning of strife is like letting out of water. So quit before the fight breaks out is kind of how you can kind of take that verse. It's a, it's a relational type verse and how you can apply it to your life. Do not let small things fester. Talk about it. Have, especially in a relationship, if it's, if it's in a, a familiar relationship, hear me carefully, have an atmosphere of grace. If you have an atmosphere of law, this stuff rarely happens. We, we, we hide and we hide and we hide and then it explodes. But if you have an atmosphere of grace between one another where you can say anything to one another, where you can come when there's just the slightest of thing and you begin to deal with it, if it's a place of grace, then it gets, it gets dealt with. But if it's a place of law, who's going to want to, who's going to, want to deal with that? It's just going to be it's going to be brutal. So begin with these small, uh, while it's small, do not let it take root. Because if you do, it's going to grow. And then ultimately, that dam is going to burst. There's other verses about that, where if you, if you hold it in, hold it in, hold it in, the dam will literally burst. You could read about that in Proverbs. Let me give you the third help here. And that is to practice resistant, restraint, excuse me, especially with your tongue. So we're we're moving towards, right? We're recognizing that there's strife. We're recognizing that there's trouble. We're going to begin to deal with it early before it gets too big. Now practice restraint. James 1.19 says this, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, right? We have two ears, <laughs> and slow to speak and slow to wrath. A lot of different applications for that verse but in our context here, peacemakers practice restraint. There's times where you can absolutely unload on that person. And if you're a peacemaker, you're going to hold some back. This is truly one of the most obvious tactics, but sometimes we don't necessarily, we, we don't put it into practice. What is, what is one of the maybe... It's definitely a leading idol in our country, in our world today, certainly in the culture in which we live. And this would be like, it's, it's like an idol. It's literally worshiped in our world. I must say what I think. I just can not hold it back. I've got to say what I feel. And our culture is all about that today. Social media, I can respond, I can say whatever I want because this is how I feel. Really? Do you have to say it? Maybe one of the questions we can ask is, what would happen if you didn't say it? And what we would find out, <laughs> it, it would, everything would be okay. We don't always have to 
use every bullet in the chamber. Now, there's times when I have, when I have meetings, and Pastor Mike and I, we've talked about this over the years that we've worked together. When, when, when you have meetings and, and you're dealing with people and, and you've got maybe some conflict and you are prepared for the meeting, I'm like, we don't always have to use every bullet. You know, I'm just figurative. You think you know what I mean. We, 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 don't, we don't always have to use everything. Use some restraint. If you want to be a peacemaker, learn this practice. Even in honest confrontation, you do not need to unload everything. And if you're a peacemaker, you won't. If God unloaded all at one time all of your sins, how would you be doing? No, instead, he's so kind and he's so gracious. What he does, like even through these beatitudes, it's like, it's like different sins that even that he's dealing with. And he just uses the Holy Spirit to, to shed some light onto this one. And so we begin to the sanctification process on this one. And then maybe a little bit later in his kindness, he'll show another area. Hey, here's where you can grow. Rather than here is a massive list of every single thing that Ryan needs to improve upon. And that would crush me. And so in his kindness, God deals with us this way. And we ought to deal with others in this same fashion. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, temperance, right? It's self-control. It's restraint. Rarely have I had a reason to regret staying silent. Rarely. But I have had many opportunities of regret for things I did say. And so let's practice restraint. We're, we're, we're going to advance towards conflict, absolutely. Deal with it early. But as you're dealing with it, just practical help here, let's be restrainful. Let's, uh, let's restrain somewhat with this. Okay, let me give you another practical tip here. Prepare for a long journey. Prepare for a long journey. 1 Peter 3.11 says, let him seek peace and pursue it. The word seek tells us that it's something that's not easy to find. The word pursue means that the path of peace, that it, it, it might be a long journey. As, as, we're, as, we're, as we're struggling to try to find it, it might be long. It's a process. It's not an event. It's not a, it's not a meeting. It's a journey. It's, it's, we're, willing to, we're willing to work through these things. Where there are deep wounds, the path to peace, it might not be quick. It might not just be this easy little band-aid that we can put on and everything's going to be just hunky-dory between you and that person. But if you want to be a peacemaker, you need to be prepared for the long journey. God, when God speaks about making peace with you, He talks about who were a far off. Listen to this verse, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Well, last week we looked at Colossians 1.20, and we learned that peace was brought together through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so you can take the two concepts here, who were afar off, now you are brought nigh by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So I want you this morning to think with me. Think about how the length of the journey that it took for God to be at peace with you. Now, if you know Christ, you were at peace with him. But, but what was the, the length of that journey? When did, the, when did the problem begin? 
Did the problem begin once you begin to, uh, to disobey God's commands? No, it goes back a little bit further than that. And one might say, well, the problem that I have is because of my parents. And you could say, well, yeah, there might be some truth to that of how you were raised, but it actually goes back even further than that. It's not far enough. The Bible goes further. The real root of all your problems, and especially your alienation from God, goes all the way back to your very first parents in the garden with Adam and Eve. They got themselves thrown out of the garden, and they passed on the impulse to sin all the way down to you. Romans 5.12 tells you that. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. And you see the lineage that comes down all the way through your very first parents, if you'll allow me to say that in Adam and Eve. You were born into a world that is hostile to God, and that hostility was in you by nature. You were born alienated from God. You were born with the DNA as against God. Now, we've chosen to sin. We, we were born into sin, and every one of us has also has chosen that path as well. But that's how far this goes back. And so the process of God making peace with you, it's been a long journey. It goes back to the beginning of time. It goes back to all the promises of the Old Testament, all of the working of the redeeming of Israel, and all of the, the ministry of, those, uh, of the prophets. It took the coming of Christ for you to have peace with God. It took 33 years of, of life of Jesus perfectly fulfilling the law for your benefit. It took the atoning death and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It took the resurrection of Jesus Christ some three days later and now is in, is in heaven making, a, uh, making atonement and your advocate there. But the work's not done. It then takes the working of the Holy Spirit to awaken you, to bring you to, to the knowledge that you need Christ and so that you could fall before Him, this holy God, and you could acknowledge your sin and you could trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's a long, long journey. God has been relentless over centuries to pursue peace with you. We live in 2022. Centuries, thousands of years, because he wants peace with you. It's a long journey. Matthew 5 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. It's this pursuit of us so that we could become sons and daughters of God. One of the ways in which peacemakers are like him is that they're prepared for the long journey. Don't think it's going to happen like that. Be prepared. You're, you're, going to, you're going to see that there's conflict. You're going to begin to advance on that conflict early. You're going to, you're going to have some restraint. Not going to say everything. And then you're in for the long haul. You want peace. So whatever that takes. So now let's begin to see what some of those extra steps might be. Number five, take a step toward peace. Take a step toward peace. Romans 12, verse number 20 says, Therefore, if thine enemy is hungry, feed him. If he thirst, give him to drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. 
And uh, before you get too excited about the end of that, it's like, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. No, 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 it's your, it's your kindness, your, your grace and your compassion. What God does is God works in that person's life for when that kindness is coming his way. But take a step toward peace. The longest journey begins with the first step. When peace seems a long way off, think about one small step in the right direction. What might that be? Ponder it. What could I do that would be received well by that person? And then offer it. So it's, it's work. It's thinking. Okay, what, what could I say? What kind of kind gesture could I bring to this person that clearly there's, there's a struggle with? What can I do to begin the process of peace? Is there an act of kindness I can show? Some evidence of a good will that I can display? A few weeks ago, I was reading an article about the Cuban Missile Crisis. And the world, as you know, at the time was on the brink of just nuclear holocaust. Two mighty nations, of course, they were, they were standing, right? They were standing toe-to-toe, ready to unleash a numerous nuclear arsons that were going to destroy everything. It still remains to this day one of the most deadliest potential moments, right, in world history. The key question at the heart of the Cuban Missile Crisis was simple. What could be done? And I'll talk about that here in a moment when I quote from things. But what could, what could be done to begin a process of de-escalation? What could be one step that might ease the tensions to allow, <laughs> to allow just one step away from just horrible things happening. So what will you look for this week? Hey, peacemaker, what will you look for this week in that relationship that could cause them and maybe even you to take one step away from? What could it be? getting way ahead of myself, but why don't you pray about it? Ask God, God, what could I say? What could I do? But so often what we are like, and I say we because it can be me too, it's like, no, I I want that person to suffer. I'm just going to let this thing wait out. Let him just, no. Blessed are the peacemakers. There's blessing that comes along with this. Let me give you a sixth help here. Aim at humility not humiliation. Aim at humility, not humiliation. Philippians 2.8 says, and being found in fashion as a man, speaking of Jesus here, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I want you to think about, think about the humility of Christ. When God, when God was giving the law, he, he, his voice was thunderous, right? And he was, no, no one could see him at Mount Sinai. They wanted to see him and they, they couldn't see him. But he's giving, he's giving his law. His voice they could hear, but they could not see him. So that's when he's giving the law. But when God is making peace, he comes to us and he speaks to us face to face. So when God's making peace, he doesn't come to us with this massive display of strength. He comes with his glory veiled. God, God, Jesus, God, 
who is in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So God, He's in human form, in the person of Jesus Christ, veils the, the glory of God that we know of. Right? That we ought to be in awe of and be, have the proper awareness and fear of that. No, He comes and He speaks face to face. Not with a display of strength. He comes in weakness. Now, His second coming won't be in weakness, but His first one was in weakness. Christ was crucified in weakness. He could have called 10,000 angels as the song goes, right? Jesus Christ could have stopped it at any moment, and yet, no, in weakness, He's bringing about peace. God makes peace not through triumph of power, but through a triumph of love. He wins us. He woos us. He draws us. His love constrains us, as Paul tells us. That's how God makes peace. He did this when right was all on his side and wrong was all on ours. A lot of times we don't have peace, church, because we know and we think we're right. All the right was on his side. All the wrong was on ours. God could have come down here and he could have fully justified just squashing each of us. But no, he comes in humility. Not to humiliate us. Instead, to draw us with that love and that humility and that weakness towards him. Peacemakers, they aim at this humility. If you've been drawn to Jesus, wasn't it his love? that drew you? Wasn't it His grace that drew you? Think about the father when when the prodigal son returned home. There's not a hint of that father taking that son and pushing his nose down into all the grime and all of the sin that he got into. He's like, no, come here, my son. I'm going to hug you. The fatted calf, here's the ring. And that's how you're treated by God. He embraces. So when you've been wronged, Ask yourself what you really want when you've been wronged. Do you want vengeance for others to kind of squirm? Do you want vindication for you to be proved, that's proven that you're right? Or do you want peace? You can't have peace with the others. If you want vengeance, if you want vindication, you can also have peace. In his book about the Cuban Missile Crisis, Robert Kennedy, he quotes his brother who's the president, if anybody is around to write after this, they are going to understand that we made every effort to find peace and give our adversary room to move. I'm not going to push the Russians an inch beyond what is necessary. Then Robert Kennedy notes, after it was finished, he instructed all members of the government that no interview should be given, no statement made, which would claim any kind of victory. Why? Because peace is about humility, not humiliation. This is otherworldly, guys. This is why this is the top rung of the ladder. 
This is why this is the last ring of the monkey rings. It is impossible apart from Christ in you. It's impossible. And I love it actually being there because it's freeing. Because if it were actually possible, you'd have a backpack on you trying to get it. And we'd struggle day after day after day. But instead, we, we, we work through Christ's work in us. We doing okay this morning? We're all right? Let me give you another help here. Trust the injustice you have suffered to God. Give it to God. Whatever is you've recognized, you're beginning to deal with it, whatever it is, ultimately begin to trust that over to God. 1 Peter 2.19 says, For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. My friend, it's a terrible thing to be wronged. It's a terrible thing to be slighted or treated unfairly. It's a terrible thing to be passed over. It's a terrible thing to be taken, be taken for granted. To have evil done unto you. For your good to have been called evil. Or to give yourself and to, to something and to receive wounds in return. Those are all terrible things. And Jesus knows all about it. No one has been wronged more than He has. No one has had their rights uh, ignored and defied more than the Savior. No one has been a peacemaker like He has. So if you've been wronged, and if you, you want to be a peacemaker, you have the most marvelous model for you in Jesus Christ. Let's read the whole passage here. Verse 19 again, For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? What, what Peter's saying here is like, if you're suffering because of something that you've done wrong, because of your sin, he's like, eh, th th there's no glory in just going through that. That's basically what he's saying there in verse, at the beginning of verse number 20. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. I enjoyed preaching through this when we were going through First Peter verse by verse through it, but think, this is a passage for anyone who has been wronged and wants to be like Jesus. Did you catch that? This is a great passage for anyone that's been wronged and desiring to be like Jesus, who is our peacemaker. Peter is speaking here about what to do if you want to be that individual in a situation where you've suffered injustice. You have been treated unfairly. Your natural response is resentment. That, of course that is. That, that's kind of our, that, that's our fleshly, that, that human response. You're, but, but what happens is if you've been treated unfairly and you are beginning to become resentful, you know what you're losing? Your own peace. You can feel yourself getting angry. 
You realize that you could easily head down a path that you do not want to go. So what is the example of Christ that we're to follow when this injustice is done unto us? Well, there's two things that Jesus didn't do. Verse 23, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself that judgeth righteously. So he was, when he was reviled, when, he was, when, when things were done unto him, he didn't do it in return. Peter, people spoke out against him. They insulted him. They spit on him. They provoked him. But that did, not, that did not make Christ return that type of behavior. Why? Why? Why did he not return that? There's a huge picture with this. Because he was making peace. We think of salvation absolutely making peace. That's why he didn't respond. That's why he didn't revile again. Soldiers, they, 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 they beat him. They flogged him. They nailed him to a cross. They inflicted unimaginable pain on him. And he is the Son of God. All judgment is in his hands. It says, when he suffered, he threatened not. You know what Jesus could have done? He could have said, you stop it right now and throw them all into hell. He has that kind of power. He has that kind of judgment in his hands. And I'm telling you, there are times when we feel fully justified in our responses. And humanly, you are. But if you're going to be otherworldly, if we are going to be Christ-like, there's going to be a time where we do not respond. Why? For peace. For peace's sake. To make peace. So what are the things that he did do? Well, in that verse, but, so he didn't do, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't revile back, he didn't lash back out, he didn't use judgment on that person. Instead, he committed himself to him that rightfully, that the judges righteously. Here's what that means for you. You say to God, I'm committing this injustice to you. You know all about it. It hurts. It digs. I, I cry at night over this. Sometimes I, I lose sleep over this. But I trust that God, you will deal with it. And it's not just the injustice he committed to God. He says he committed himself. Christ committed himself to God. In other words, he does not seek his own vindication because he knows that his vindication is with God. So here's the tremendous release. When you've been wronged or slighted, your vindication is with God. You can trust yourself to him who judges justly. It would be a very small thing for you to vindicate yourself. But it's a whole other thing when God vindicates you. Wow. Another thing that Christ did, verse 24, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. He bore his injustice. He bore what had been done against him. He absorbed the pain of it without passing it on. As the hymn, Man of Sorrows, says, Bearing the shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Christ bore it for your sake, and you can choose to bear it for his sake. He left an example as Peter says, so you can follow in his footsteps. And notice the result. By whose stripes, at the end of verse 24, by whose stripes 
ye were healed. Christ's wounds brought healing for you. Your wounds, in terms of human wounds, can be healing wounds as well if you bear them as you trust yourself to him who judges justly. Church family, I realize that the last 10 minutes of this message is otherworldly. This is not something that we can do on our own. As a pastor, I'm privy to a lot of different things and I enter into that suffering and that sorrow that, praise God, you allow me to, to help. And this is otherworldly. That the Holy Spirit of God can allow some of the harshest of things to let him vindicate it and for it actually to be healing for you. Number eight, let's move here quickly. Pray for peace. Pray for peace. So you've begun to notice it. You're beginning to take the steps towards it. You're in for the long journey. Begin to pray for it. You know, what does the psalmist tell us? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The scripture urges us to pray for all who are in high positions. What does it say? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2.2. If you are committed to peace, praying for peace will be a part of your prayer life. Add it. Add it to your prayer life. Praying for peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Man, there's blessing that comes with this. Let me give you a ninth one. Share the gospel of peace. Share the gospel of peace. Share the gospel of peace. Ephesians 6.15 says, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So the Bible connects the gospel with feet. That, that, that's moving. That, that, that it's running. And what does the Bible say? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. So here the gospel of peace is like shoes for your feet. Now some writers think that the seventh beatitude... Blessed are the peacemakers is, entire, is entirely about making peace between men and God. And thus they say that it is a call to evangelism. I don't think that the limit is to that. You shouldn't limit it to that. However, that will be included. I believe that it is a relational thing as well as a peace with God. Because what greater way can you extend peace than to share the gospel with that person who then becomes at peace with God? Because there's never going to be peace this way until there's peace vertically. And so I don't think it's just an evangelistic type of beatitude. I believe it includes that, but it also speaks to the church today that we need peace this way. So share the gospel of peace. And then let me give you a tenth one. Cherish peace wherever you can find it. Because it's rare today. Oh, it shouldn't be rare in the house of God. Amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. But man, outside these walls, it is rare. Ephesians 4.3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Sometimes a simple phrase can stay in your mind and do years of good after and after again. One of those types of phrases was, 
wow, I believe it was about 11 years ago-ish. <laughs> all kind of runs together now. But I was having lunch, and it was the first time officially saying hello to a pastor face-to-face. It might have been 10, I, I don't know, 11, 10 years ago. And we kind of both knew that the lunch that we met together to have in San Jose was going to be potentially a contentious one because we were going to discuss something that we heavily disagreed on. And I'll never forget when we got there, the gentleman said, can I pray for the meal? And he he said something to this effect, Lord, we were one when we came in here let nothing in this conversation make that less than reality. Amen. I thought to myself, yeah, the lunch was great. Oh, we still disagree heavily on this particular matter. But the lunch was great. You know, sometimes... You've got to just take peace where you get it. Sometimes you go into this beginning to recognize that there's a conflict and you come up maybe with 10-step program like I just gave and you've got this great ideal of what you think that peace is going to be in that relationship. But on this planet, in this fallen world, where we are saints that sin, that are on a road to recovery, we might not always have the peace that we are dreaming of having. And we've got to learn to endeavor to keep that unity. And the spirit and bond of peace, even if we disagree. It's a gift. It's a blessing for men and women to be able to cohabitate with differences. It's a gift. You know how many churches where that's not necessarily a reality? I'm telling you, it's the truth. Sometimes we, we, we live in this like cloistered atmosphere where all, all we ever kind of know sometimes is redwood. Listen, it is not normal to be able to be in a room and be loving and awesome. I love redwood. And have differences. We've got differences. And yet there's peace. Where sometimes it is the hardest of lines on things. And if you don't, hey, there's the door, buddy. Sometimes, hear me, cherish peace when you can have it. I was going into that lunch thinking, man, it was going to be grenade after grenade after grenade. And it wasn't. Because there was a man who was my elder older than me, that was smart enough to say, hey, we came in here in Christ unified, and Lord, would you help us leave here the same way? And we did. My friends, this is a blessed life that is so awesome that you got to start at the beginning because you build momentum to be able to be a peacemaker. And so if there's not a lot of peace in your life, if there's a lot of conflict in your life right now, maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's with your kids, maybe it's with your boss, maybe it's with a friend, maybe it's with your neighbor. 
There's a lot of conflict that's going on in your life. You know what you need to do? You need to be poor in spirit this morning. You need to be like, I can't do this on my own. And you're right. And then you begin the progression. Getting to the place where we can say, I'm going to celebrate peace. Even in some of the littlest places where I can find it. Church fam, I love you. And I've enjoyed this journey. We've, we've got another beatitude, but it's kind of different, right? It's the persecution that comes when we, when we live this way. But these seven rungs, so to speak, of the ladder, these seven rings of the monkey, monkey um, rings, is, it's been a joy. I've grown immensely through it. And I pray, I pray that, that Redwood will be a place where there's men and women, teenagers, that would advance in this world as a peacemaker. Every head bowed, every eye closed.